Three, two, one. All right, welcome to, I think this is the sixth uh, religious deconstruction episode. Uh, Jacob did not join me on the last one, but uh, Dorian and I had a good talk. Um, <clears throat> so Jacob is joining me today as always, uh, and we have a, a special guest, um, a friend of mine who uh, who is going by anonymous right now, um, maybe, maybe related to Q Anonymous in some way. Um, my, my old nickname for her, she's a very old friend of mine, uh, is crab. So we'll, uh, we'll go ahead and <laughs> crabby. <yeah. laughs> um, so we'll, we'll pop the, uh, the, on the phone graphic up now, yep. boom, done. And, uh, so Jacob, how are you doing today? Pretty good. Um, I spent the morning sort of soaking up, um, I don't even know what you would call Jordan Peterson's philosophy. He was on the <laughs> podcast that I enjoy. So I watched it for the host, not for him, but I've just got, you know, sort of vague Christian liberal platitudes floating around the brain. So That's perfect oh. time for it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it is Sunday after all, right? It's like on a Sunday service. Right. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, uh, Crab, how are you doing today? I'm doing pretty well. I took my uh, child to the doctor the other day, and I'm pretty sure I picked something up because oh. I feel, yeah, not great, but um, that's okay. I'm good otherwise. How All are right. you? Well, um, no, no, nobody ever asked that back. Oh. And uh, I'm usually well. a mess, so I don't want to answer the question anyway. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> we'll pretend like I didn't ask. Everything's great. Because <laughs> I know I'm the same way. Yeah. So. yeah. <laughs> Please. Me not asking is in poor manners. It's actually the opposite. It's me being like, oh, yeah. I know, I know. I'm I'm not That's offended fair. by it. I'm the host. I'm, I'm not supposed to have feelings, right? Uh, I'm I'm doing okay. Uh, last night I got pretty uh, pretty lit AF and um, yeah. uh, went into a, a coma and I barely got out of it in time to do this. So that's very unlike you. Yeah, I know. As, I'm as someone who's known me for thing. like what 16, 17 years, yeah, you, yeah, this is the yeah, first time, time you've encountered this situation, right? Yeah. I uh, was thinking. I was thinking last night that we've known each other for like half of our lives, which is crazy. Yeah, yeah. You guys are like day one homies, then. Like we are. Like, yep. Some years and years. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So our our topic today is um um we we didn't grow up in the same church or anything like that, but uh, we no. grew up um as friends and um. You know, we we both experienced our deconstructions sort of not at the same time. I, I was a little bit of an early bloomer in that regard. And um, we wanted to talk about uh, sexism in the church. Um, so uh -huh. you are a very studious person, and I know that you have a bunch of notes. Um, so I'm not sure yeah. if you want to just hit the ground running or if you want me to uh, uh, go into some detail that maybe sparks uh your your notes or, or i don't know uh, i i can hit the ground running a little okay. bit and then yeah. a little back and forth would be cool but um yeah i just kind of wanted to talk about i guess my early um experiences with sexism in the church started really young i was 
I can't even remember, but I was like born and raised in the church. It was like a second home. Um, and I remember struggling with the ideology of like, uh, you know, women are supposed to submit to their husbands. Um, this idea that women submit and men then love their wives, um, which was kind of like the reasoning that was always fed to me of, you know, I would be like, well, why are we, why do women have to submit to their husbands? Like, what's up with this? How come it's not the other way around? Um and I realized as I got older and grew and started to deconstruct that this is really more about power dynamics than love, right? Like this is about subjugation of women and control, right. um, which is really the thread of sexism in the church. Um, so it was kind of that verse. It was like very specific verses that I would really struggle with. Um, women should remain silent in the church. So the first one I refer to in uh, Submit to Your Husband, that's in Ephesians, if people are interested. Um, yeah, and if you want to if you want to throw out some, some verses, I can pop them up on the screen and stuff like that. Yeah, so. um, I've just got Ephesians 5.22. That was the Submit to Your Husband's. Um, Oh, Ms. Crab, can you kind of, just <laughs> for my own edification slash context, can you kind of explain, I'm assuming that you grew up in some sort of like non-denominational fundamentalist evangelical church community? Yeah, yeah, 100%. Yep. So like what, because um, like my, my exposure to it is mostly just like a long so I was raised Catholic. Uh-huh. So I have a long-standing interest in kind of Christian sectarianism, um, yeah. and and I've also worked um, just by chance. One of my jobs, uh, several of the people that worked, uh, I worked. Some of the people that I worked in close contact with were uh, observant, practicing evangelicals. Some of them were fundamentalists. Some were more mainline. Yeah. So just, yeah, by way of self-introduction, I guess. Yeah. Um, yeah, that was definitely my, uh, my upbringing. And uh, it was, is very like biblically, you know, like literalism um, for the most part. Yeah. So, yeah word of God, et cetera. Exactly. Yep. And like none of it contradicts itself. And, um, and like the, uh, go ahead. Sorry. No, 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 go ahead. Well, I mean, like, so my, you know, my biggest gripe mostly with, you know, my admittedly, you know, a lay person's understanding of theology, mm-hmm. you know, my, like my longstanding kind of gripe or reason that I still adhere to us, I don't know what I would call like a benevolent Catholic chauvinism theologically is that like, you know, um, well, the, the biggest difference from, or the biggest problem for me is that Catholicism adheres to the importance of tradition and biblical hermeneutics. Whereas uh, American evangelicalism specifically just kind of dispenses with that and says, well, no, not like, you know, the Bible is a living document. So kind of to your point, it's at once an inerrant document, ironclad, but also there's a, a, an amazing degree of like relativism. Oh, yeah. yeah. In hermeneutics where it's yeah. like, in, you know, just a, a good example for the normies would be, you know, the <laughs> uh, just 
wellspring of support that Trump um, received oh, yeah. from evangelical leaders, which, you know, to the normie blue check uh, NPR, NPR uh-huh. New York Times reading audience, it would be like, how could, how could uh-huh. the right back Trump? And it's like, <laughs> well, if, you underst- if you actually understand the theology, then it makes complete sense. Yep. Yeah, it does. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Again, like, uh, and then I'll shut up and I'll let you, I'll no. stop mansplaining. No, but, no. <laughs> another gripe I have, you know, is like, um, you know, Catholicism maintains that, that good works are necessary. Yep. Um, in order to attain salvation, whereas evangelicalism pretty much makes it a matter of like uh, ideological purity and adherence to this kind of like um, like austere moral code without any necessity. And it's and not even to the point that it's it's almost like not even to the point that that good works are not necessary, but it's almost like the reaction is like, why would I do that? And here, I mean, like pretty specifically, like the way in which, you know, there are evangelical conservatives at the forefront of like mainstream re- Republican or conservative um, um, politics who are, who are just so virulently anti-helping, which is like yeah, yeah. odd considering you follow uh supposedly follow uh, a, a set of teachings that are, are radically um, about helping. And I mean, I guess yeah. I don't, don't want to speak for anyone other than myself, but like Michael, I feel like some of the stuff that, or I guess, I don't know. Yeah. Part of like what has evolved for me over our conversations over the past several weeks has been like, at least for me, like part of my, alienation with regards to like institutional religion is that I, I do like, you know, I can like, I'm an armchair Marxist. So (laughs) I also consider myself like, you know, to actually read into the figure of Christ or his teachings. It's like, there's a certain level of disgust to be had, disgust to be had for institutional religion because it so, readily just sort of uh, uh, moves a field of him as a historical or religious figure in his actual teachings and his mm-hmm. for sure important. yeah yeah and I think you kind of go back to like the that story of Jesus in the temple where he's like overturning the tables right like like Jesus was hardcore like not that and I think that that was a big part of the beginning of my deconstruction was just seeing like the contradictions of of all of that like this is how Jesus tells us to be right and then like cultural evangelicalism is so the opposite of that and it was just kind of like disgusting you know like <laughs> it really is well, I mean it, it... Part of what's kind of odd, I guess, or not odd, I don't know, like, it, part of what's interesting is the, you know, I, so in, in grad school, I wrote a paper, I was in a class that was on the rise of um, the, the historical origins of fascism and then the rise of a, of a neo-fascist movement now-ish in the paper that I wound up writing was essentially the point that I made was, or the the contention that I was kind of interested in trying to explore was, um, you know, a key difference 
between continental European, well, actually not even continental European, but also like Scandinavian and then mostly Scandinavian and continental um, European fascists, you know, they have this pre-Christian um, pagan uh, folk tradition to fall back on as kind of an ideological substrate, whereas this country was founded as a Judeo-Christian nation. And I take seriously that proposition, which is bandied about by the religious right, where they, you know, mm-hmm. browbeat us with mm-hmm. this is a Judeo-Christian nation. Yeah. But yeah, okay, let's take that seriously. And so what that means is, you know, this was... In terms of whiteness, this country was virgin soil. So, of course, the the religious substrate here isn't pre-Christian. It is radically Christian, and it is a very non-loving, rugged individualist, literalist, not, you know, it's just forceful um, kind of Christianity, I think. So the problem was basically, you know, like, insofar as these European fascists are kind of compelled to use pagan pre-Christian traditions as their kind of ideological um, base in the same way or analogically American fascists have to use evangelical Christianity. And so essentially my contention is, and I, I would go to bat for this contention still, is that, yeah, and not all evangelicals, but for the most part, evangelical Christianity is a religion of and an ideology of white supremacy. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah. And, yep. and that's just kind of. Yeah. Patriarchal. Yeah. White supremacy for sure. Right. Yeah. And it's yeah. like and, and I mean, evil again, you know, just so I can shit on the New York Times again. But they, you know, back in probably, you know, 17 or 18 put out a, an article i remember i think it was in the i had a habit of, of for a while i would read the sunday edition um just because i like the arts kind of stuff they do but uh, they had an article about um the the crisis in evangelical christianity of, of um con- congregants of color mm-hmm. essentially leaving um mm-hmm. post trump mm-hmm. and the, the white congregants are like oh well, why I don't get it. <laughs> like, I know you have brains in your arms, but it's that's clear that you can't understand. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Anyways, that's, that's a long aside. So, yeah. And I think it's interesting because I think that all of us who have attended, I guess, with the caveat of saying like a mostly white church, I think mm-hmm. that most of us have um, experiences where we saw racism in the church. I I saw it really hardcore. Yeah. And we had, you know, we had a couple people of color in our church, but still, I mean, and, and it came from the pastor, like that's embarrassing, but it, it just shows how deeply um, intertwined the two things are. Well, especially go ahead. Sorry. No, I was going to say, you know, especially in in the context of American Christianity, um, Mm you only need to look to like the colonization of of this country right to to see how deeply intertwined religious belief was with um you know the the genocide of native americans mm-hmm. and you know mm-hmm. just the idea that you know we're cleansing the land for god and you know mm-hmm. you've got manifest yeah. destiny as as a doctrine mm-hmm. and um mm-hmm. 
What's interesting, though, is the theological arguments between, say, North America and um, South and Central America are different, though. Um, Because up here, up here, North America, you know, there's the sort of um, city on the hill. There's a really good book. I can't remember the author's name. Um, He wrote a he's a historian or a cultural anthropologist. He wrote a three book series on starting with um, pretty much the colonization of of New England up through the Civil War and then kind of um, Reconstruction Frontier Uh era. Um, But for the life of me, I I don't know that the book, it's the first book is called Regeneration Through Violence, but that's a phrase that he reuses um, some of the times. Yeah, Regeneration Through Violence by uh, Richard Slotkin. Yeah, 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 yeah. And so the... just to plug another book, so the that phrase "regeneration through violence" comes from um, um, William Carlos Williams, the poet, wrote a uh, a book of kind of I don't know what you would call it. It, they're almost prose poems. Um, and so the whole idea is this regeneration through violence is essentially that the American ideology, the American spirit, capital S spirit, if there is such a thing, uh-huh. is profoundly based on this kind of blood sacrifice almost that's necessary to uh-huh. guarantee our national coherence, but which is also like underwritten by this Christian well, Puritan Christian ideology where, you know, for a variety of reasons, this was seen as virgin land in terms of cultivation patterns and habitation patterns, et cetera. But then there's also the more like woo-woo theological shit of like, well, our Indians people, (laughs) which is a through line between North American, South and Central American colonization. um, But Catholics and Protestants kind of have a different, they have different reasons for arriving at the conclusion of, well, Indians aren't people, you know? So I'd just like to mention real quick uh, that I'm maybe stupid and (laughs) I forgot to record the video this whole time. So half of this is just going to be audio only. Um, Whoops. But I'll, I'll I'll upload it to YouTube still. It'll just be a blank screen for, uh, a little while um so yeah uh, let's let's go back to uh to, to crab over here and uh yeah. her her notes and and what uh what else she wanted to say yeah um so just some of the other um things that i sh- that i kind of battled with in my own mind when i was a kid um was also the verse it shows up in first timothy and in first corinthians um women should remain silent in the church uh to not uh, take over the authority of men. And if the the woman or the wife wants to learn, then she's to ask her husband her questions at home, um, <laughs> which was interesting because, again, as, you know, someone who was in a church that read the Bible very literally, mm-hmm. I, I tried to fit myself into this ideology where, where somewhere it was okay, right? Like that I could come to peace with it. And I, this is so cringy, but I used to pray for like a gentle and um, (laughs) I guess like a a spirit of submission. Right. Right. And it was such a, uh, that's just like a horrible thing. (laughs) 
like uh, psychologically, like that's such a horrible thing for a young girl who is going to grow up and struggle in the patriarchy anyway, right? Like she's already yeah. in it and she and she doesn't know it. Um, but then to kind of have this as her basis of like, this is the right way. This is the way that you're supposed to think and feel. Um, it just really heaps on that struggle of then, okay, now I'd have to deconstruct this all the way to ground level. And then rebuild it. And it's just, it's, it's difficult. Well, yeah. It's, and, uh, you know, on, on, on the subject of like praying for things that, that are mm. just like psychotic almost to, to have to pray mm. for, you know, like that's, of course, that's, that's like built yeah. into, into religion so deeply, uh, especially yeah. Christianity, I think, where it's like, if you talk to somebody who'd never experienced any, any amount of Christianity in their life. And then you told them yeah. like, yeah, so I found myself praying for, you know, a, a gentle spirit that would submit mm. me to my husband. And, mm -hmm. you know, like when, when you're praying for that kind of thing, you're also kind of like praying that like, uh, you know, God, please give me a, a wise husband who uh, mm -hmm. doesn't beat me unnecessarily. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. for sure. Yeah. I mean, well, cause then it's like, yeah, I mean, it's like kind of a double-edged sword of like, not only are you praying for divine inspiration so that you can kind of like, uh, like ignore your own intellect and yeah. kind of self in critical inclination, uh -huh. be subservient, but also a husband who might recognize that critical inclination and yet be, you know, kind of, um, exercise like forbearance and be kind or whatever the fuck uh -huh, uh -huh. Pretty, i mean that's that's messy yeah oh yeah for sure and it's you know i think that it kind of speaks to that idea which i kind of had in my notes um a little bit later on but it's this idea of like religion in this context kind of strips away your sense of self mm -hmm. um so that you can be like this vessel where god can you know just exist in you and essentially it's just this it's like the spiritual abuse that happens where you're constantly having to chip away at who you are if it at all contradicts uh what the ideology says right. and that's uh i mean it's like pretty classic abuse right like, yeah. <laughs> it's that's rough for so, sure yeah that's, uh, <laughs> keep going that, that's a fun uh, that's a fun one and then uh, another one that i that i struggled with um was this idea that so women in my church and this is uh i believe biblical well it is biblical as well along the lines of like not to usurp the authority of men women can't teach um mm. so they, they couldn't be pastors ministers um and in fact they could only teach interestingly enough um children so yeah. young boys but once they reached a certain age the women were no longer allowed to teach them uh so what does that say about how men are valued in the church versus women right like like you're good enough to teach our boys um but once they get what better than you smarter than you have more authority than you you have to sit down well not even just right? that but but like the way that it's structured um like you know you, you grow up your whole life as a little <clears throat> as a little kid, you know, and and pairing this up with something like you know the bar mitzvah, uh, like coming mm -hmm. of age sort of stuff, you know, when you when mm -hmm. you reach a certain age, you're now considered a man, and that was in you know your early teens is when that happens, mm -hmm. um, and then you know you're you're no longer taught by a woman, so you don't have right. a, a woman's influence over you anymore, and you're right. taught exclusively by men who have maybe some uh incentive to you mm -hmm. know 
teach right. you that that you know your your position as a man is above uh, that of a woman. <laughs> right. right, 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 for sure. Yeah, it's sad. It's really so sad. yeah, it's like probably intentional, but uh, a, a form of indoctrination that self perpetuates, right? Yeah. It also just flouts millennia of church tradition in which women are sent absolutely central to mm. not only like Christ's life, but then also mm. uh, his message. Like, you know, I, there's any number of, of female martyrs. Right. Mm. In, in it's kind of. Well, that's the thing, right? Is that you know that the only time a woman is valued and, and has a position of power is when she's sacrificing herself for Ooh, preach yep. <laughs> for, for the for the religion. Pelosi, thank you, George Floyd. Uh, for- oh, yeah, <laughs> oh, so bad. Thanks, yeah. Agatha. I think would have been right. thanks, Agatha, for getting your head chopped off by the yeah. Romans. Yeah, so that we could learn that the Romans were bad. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. But it's, it's uh, very much linked to what you're saying in that um, I think that a big part of that is obviously the disempowerment of, of a woman's voice in the church so that she remains in those subservient roles, right? right. Which ultimately benefit the church. And even if, I mean, power dynamics, obviously, but also I was thinking like just in terms of saving money, the women, if there's any event, they cook, uh, maybe sometimes they clean, they run all of the children's programs. They, you know, all of this is expected to be their effort, their time is expected to be given voluntarily. Yeah, it's that all it's all a, donated, right? Yeah, that saves a lot of money, right? When I think what's kind of what's so cruel about that kind of um, ideology of disempowerment and submission and subservience is that it exploits natural biological and psychological predilections that are shared between the genders of you know wanting intimacy wanting to remain in group uh-huh. um and it, it it yeah i mean it exploits those and uh, ascribes these kind of moral uh directives onto what are you know ultimately just value neutral biological impulses you know mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. for yeah. sure yeah and it and it really speaks to this idea i've been taking this course that's kind of deconstructing um motherhood martyrdom um mm-hmm. you know being myself i became a mom a few years ago and it's just kind of it's so um crushing in a way the the societal expectations of a woman and a mother and as i've been going through this course and kind of deconstructing that um, on a cultural level the link between what i learned in church and that is obviously so um strongly associated it's just crazy it's it's that idea again the emptying of self not even the emptying but the destruction of self and um and mike and i talked about this a little bit of like why can't the two things exist like why can't you be a mother and also hold space for your child's identity or why can't you you know be religious and have your own sense of self and also hold you know a sense of self for a deity like why are they why do they have to be one or the other right like that's that's such an interesting thing well and that's kind of like it seems like one thing that i've noted 
in talking to observant evangelicals. So there was a woman that I worked with who um, was roughly my age. So at the time, mid twenties, um, part of what we would, part of the confusion for her was Catholic Mariology. So Roman Catholic veneration of Mary. And, and more more broadly, uh, the Catholic veneration of saints. Mm. And it, there's this way in which evangelicals uh, are so focused, at least in discourse about Jesus, uh-huh. it's not it's not even God. It's uh-huh. this as this kind of like, it, but uh, frankly, and, and here uh, like the the dick comes out and I'm just like, but like evangelical theology is like too dumb to (laughs) delve into the problem of being at once divine and human. Uh, And so Jesus becomes this like, like all evangelicals are like wedded to Jesus in a certain uh way kind of. No, that's that's actually, yeah, that's actually part of the doctrine. (laughs) Yeah. It actually, like, literally, it's like that's just my like. So it actually, like, I'm not just like. No, no, no. That's it's part of doctrine that that even, and and this will come up in in church sometimes when it's like a hee hee, it's funny and weird sort of thing. But uh, you know, like, yeah, we're not gay, but even men are wedded to Christ, boys. And like, well, I mean, that's kind of like I don't know. I guess there's an analogous thing in Catholicism would be like transubstantiation and the 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 debate over the real presence of christ in the eucharist i mean which i don't know like i hold to that not because i'm because i'm not a catholic i'm not a practicing catholic but i hold to that because i understand its philosophical lineage and and its basis or uh logicalness which i know isn't a word in the context of like hellenic and and judaic philosophy yeah, like of course that makes sense. Like that's a, a logically valid or true thing to say, right? Okay. Um, what are? Do you have more stuff, or like, can I like toss out a question? Um, yeah, yeah, go ahead. Well, so like one thing I'm curious about, especially as a as a mother and as uh, as a woman too, is like I'm just curious about like the way in which um, girl children are kind of are or are not like or what is the status of like the sexualization of female people in the church because i mean like my impression is more or less that in keeping with this overall kind of imposed or prescribed subservience that like women are essentially like kind of like what you're saying you know they provide this uncompensated domestic labor but then on the uh, even beyond that which is in similarly and even more physically and presumably spiritually onerous like women are essentially just like kind of brood mares um so i just like i don't know how true that is but i'm curious about like kind of because also there's the whole thing of like the um the uh the purity balls or whatever yeah 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 teen girls are 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 bound to their fathers until marriage yeah. is just like gross. yeah yeah it, it's, it's yeah it's really gross i'm glad that you um brought this up because it's a huge part of it um 
this idea of purity culture, which I think uh, was one of the most, I mean, <laughs> there's so much damage, right, that you get from <laughs> being raised um, this way. I think that this was one of the the most damaging because purity culture for, for as you say, like normies, people who might not have been raised in the church, <laughs> yeah. um, is the idea that sex should be saved for heterosexual monogamous marriage for life, right? Sure. So, I mean, unless your partner dies, and then I guess you're free to do the thing again over again um, but preferably it's his brother that you marry it's his brother <laughs> exactly. and if he doesn't have a brother i think it's his father or something like that yeah, it so. gets it gets weird the, uh, gets the weird. family tree just kind of starts looping in on itself <laughs> exactly um and in my particular brand of purity culture, um, some people that I knew, grew up with, even saved their first kiss for their wedding day, which was extremely awkward to witness. Um, but yeah, it's essentially, it's the way I see it as the erasure of female sexuality in the church. Um, you're not allowed to be seen as a sexual being and you um, basically are supposed to suppress and disconnect from all sexual urges that you may have um, as a teen, which you know, is easy and cool and healthy. And uh, the, the responsibility is very much placed on girls to safeguard their own libidos and that of their peers, um, their male peers with the assumption that they're straight. Um, and by being told that they are supposed to dress in a certain way, uh, they have to avoid dressing other ways. So you might stand up and you're wearing a skirt and you have to make sure your skirt's past your fingertips when you stand and your shirt can't be, you know, a V-neck. It has to go all the way up to your collarbone. Um, and it's it's largely um, predicated on the use of shame to, to, peep, to keep girls in line. And um, again, I think distracted so that they can remain in those subservient roles. And uh, yeah, it's something that, even if you deconstruct uh, something that you deal with for, I don't want to say life because I'm hopeful that uh, it gets easier with time and deconstruction, but it's something that I still struggle with. And I've deconstructed for, I mean, it's been, I kind of started, I would say about 10 years ago um, and more hardcore once I became a mother. So not that long, but it's, uh, it's very deeply rooted for sure. <clears throat> um, one other question I had. So, it, so you know, my my in my educational and philosophical background, deconstruction is a term of art related to you know Jacques Derrida. So, is is deconstruction a word in community for evangelicals that essentially equates to like apostasy, or what what? Or is it just a word that you two are, are using just idiomatically? Um, you know, like, does that, yeah. does that make sense? I don't know. Yeah, I think that it's more um, used once you're out of okay. the, I, th I think once when you're in the, um, in religion, in evangelicalism, they would call it like you're leaving the fold, quote unquote. Yeah. Okay. Um, or you're, uh, what's the, like the biggest um, one that they use? It's like you're the lost sheep. Right? Yeah. Like you go away and the shepherd has to find you again. It's sort of like that verbiage that's used around it. Um, but once you're out, there's this culture that is kind of still on the rise, but people starting to talk about this idea of deconstruction. I first learned about it through, um, I first 
read this book called Leaving the Fold, I think, is uh, Dr. Marlene Winnell. And she um, coined the term religious trauma syndrome. So it's oh. this, yeah, it's super fascinating. And she talks about deconstruction of religion, but I'm sure other people use that term as well. Yeah. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. Well, I mean, because it's kind of funny because like, you know, so like I, you know, my background is largely in literary theory, which itself mm. is just secularized biblical hermeneutics. Like that's mm. literally historically where literary theory comes from is late, mm. uh, uh, late 19th century kind of um, attempts to cut. Well, as like literature became more of a, a mass media um, or mass experience it was, you know, there, there was a, a coterminous, and of course now I'm going to start talking about, I'm going to use all these just, just obnoxious $5 words. <laughs> there was a, a coterminous secularization. <laughs> And, and you know, and part of the yeah, I mean, part of the problem is like yeah, I could, I I would have to think harder to say that simpler than it is for me to just right stupid words right <laughs> are too many syllables long. But anyways, yeah, so um, yeah. yeah, religious trauma syndrome. What is yeah. what is she what um because I'm assuming there would probably be some sort of like similarities and overlaps with like something like PTSD Uh um, I mean honestly presumably like I I wouldn't even be surprised if there were overlaps with something like a cluster B personality disorder where you know those people who um, experience those you know it's because of like pretty uh, intense trauma intense childhood trauma you know what, what does she kind of identify um and like to, to whatever degree you're comfortable with, what have you recognized in your own life kind of cognitively or emotionally that that jives with that construct? I think it's an interesting question. Um, I think that for me, a lot of it was more of like a visceral response to religion. I I could feel trauma in my body before I knew what trauma was, right? Like the CPTSD kind of idea. Mm-hmm. Um and that was really kind of what kickstarted my deconstruction with religion was because I finally had the words to describe how I felt. It was like, oh, my God, like, this is a thing, <laughs> you know, like it was that validation of like, yes, someone else understands that this is like a trauma response. Um, yeah. And it's it's something that I've I've I still need to kind of delve more into. I read her book, but there's other people who talk about um like spiritual abuse. And, you know, what does that mean? It's, it's this idea that like, as if you believe in spirituality of, of humanity, which some people do and some people don't kind of like to each their own. But if you, if you kind of accept that as an idea, then forcing someone and indoctrinating someone to believe from the time that they were born, something that's so harmful. Yeah. I'd call it spiritual abuse for sure. Right. Like it kind of, uh, it's like the brain worm thing. Like it gets into your psyche and it's so hard to, to separate it. Well, it's, I mean, especially because, you know, again, taking seriously the proposition that we live in a Judeo Christian culture or country, you know, there are secularized ways in which this biblical misogyny or other bigotries, you know, are, are 
secularized cultural mainstays for us. And then, but also it's, it's doubled and amplified by still being in a, a religious community that, you know, has that baseline, but then also still adheres to this bit like theological mm. argument for that, um, higher, you know what I mean? Like there, it's one thing to say, like, I guess, I don't know, like, there's, it's one thing to talk about, like, the gender wage gap, for example, but then, and to, to, because that issue, you know, you can go down any number of sociological materialist explanations, but then, you know, if you were to bring all that to an evangelical, you know, they're just going to be like, well, Bible says so, doesn't matter, you know what I mean? Right. There's no crossing that uh, river, you know, like that's, uh-huh. the, that's, you've hit a wall. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. So I, I kind of wanted to jump in on this a little bit, um, talking about like spiritual abuse. Um, uh-huh. As, as, as Crab has uh, experienced uh, being a friend of mine for a long time, I went uh-huh. through a, a period of like intense, wow. like uh, militant atheism where uh-huh. I rejected the idea that, you know, like spirituality could even exist. And if you had any kind of spirituality uh-huh. about you, like you were just a dumb fucking person that, that, you know, uh-huh. and, and she's saying, mm-hmm, because I was a real douchebag to her a couple of times. <laughs> 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 um, but, uh, you know, going, going through that period of my life and, and now I'm maybe in the last couple of years, I've, I've learned that I, I do have a spirituality about me and, you know, I, I mean, I'm a person who tries to make art sometimes and, and I write poetry and I, you know, engage in all these other sort of things. And it's like trying to refine a spirituality that doesn't, you know, immediately evoke all those feelings that I had when I was in the church, you know, finding a spirituality that's healthy and, and born out of, you know, like my own, uh, individualism rather than a spirituality that's shaped and formed by this religious institution. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. It's very difficult. I think that it's very uh I think for people who are deconstructing and then trying to reconstruct, um, which is kind of that idea with the finding your spirituality again, I think that it can be very triggering because it draws forth so many of those really deep rooted uh ideas of what we were taught, especially when you're when you're in it when you're a kid. Yeah. Yeah. Um so I just sent you guys a link. I don't know if you yeah, yeah. can get that. Um, this is Dr. Marlene's site, uh, the one who wrote the book, and it's Symptoms of Religious Trauma Syndrome. So she says that it's co- uh, cognitive, emotional, social, and cultural. Um, and then causes of religious trauma syndrome would be suppression of normal child development, cognitive, social, emotional, moral stages are arrested, damage to normal thinking and feeling abilities, information is limited and controlled, uh, dysfunctional beliefs taught. You know that women aren't as good as men. Um, independent thinking condemned. So um, and also like thought policing and your feelings are condemned. I think a lot of it is emotionally based. Um, external locus of control. Knowledge is revealed, not discovered. The hierarchy of authority enforced. Self not a reliable or good source. You're definitely taught not to trust yourself um, because because in the ideology ideology it's uh, the self is evil, right? The self is is yeah. demonized. You're, you're born, 
terrible and you need to be saved. And again, that was one of the bigger things that led me to deconstruct as well, especially once I became a mother. It was horrifying to me that any mother could look at her child and think, what a precious, beautiful mm-hmm. baby that I have. And yet they're just wicked in their heart, you know, like they're just bad. Like, I don't, that's, that's abusive. That's a horrible teaching. Yeah. As, horrible. as an antinatalist, I'm prone to, to agree with you. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> your, your child is, your child is very, very uh, adorable and, and a very yes. cute little, little guy. You're a big old softy. Yeah, you, you can pretend, but. <laughs> yeah. This, this is the, the hazard of bringing on somebody that knows me. Uh, I can't yep. get, I can't get away with all my bullshit Lord stuff. No, you definitely can't. <laughs> It's interesting. I scrolled down on on that page to the mistaken yeah. identity section, and she does have their borderline personality disorder. Which yeah, is, yeah. So that's, a, that's a cluster B personality disorder. Yep. Um, yep. Social disorders. I mean, antisocial personality disorder. The yep. narcissism. Those are cluster B as well. Like there, you know, the, and that's kind of like so. Like I have in my like personal life, n- not myself, but uh-huh. former you know, uh, former people in my life, you know, have experience with, uh, uh, cluster B types. Um, and knowing what I know about the origins or, or probable origins of that, those, uh, factors for them, you know, uh, it, it makes sense that being raised in that kind of environment, mm-hmm. which is all encompassing, like it's, it's a total yeah. life. And that that truly, and I think it is worth noting, like that is a fundamental difference between uh-huh. Catholics and evangelicals specifically. And it is also something that, that evangelicals kind of, in my, again, in my conversations with this former coworker of mine, because we've talked about, like we were in good terms, we've talked about this stuff. Um, it wasn't hostile, but like, you know, she, she was very kind of confused by, um, what she perceived as a lack of fellowship among Catholics, huh. which is absolutely like true. Like Catholicism is not interested in building fellowship. It's about, it's interested in getting your ass in the pew right. and listening to the priest and, and going out, you know, um, and doing whatever, but right. it is, especially now it, it, with just sociological factors of you know just or i don't even know what to call it like a a cultural a religiousness you know catholicism truly is a matter of you know you go to church once a week maybe Uh real old school you might go several times a week Uh but even like you know my my family who are you know you know catholic boomers uh-huh. Um, go once a week, you know, my grandfather, who's, I don't know, close to 90, I think pre COVID, he would have gone probably at least 75% of the days out of the week. Um, wow. but, but that's, but also going to church just is not fellowship. It's not, um, yeah. it's not, you don't have any sort of emotional affective connection to those people other than, Oh, Hey, I, I talked to Bob and Mary after mass at the, right. at the donut social. Yeah. You know? That seems right, like right. 
Catholicism has a lot more of like a punch card sort of relationship going on, right? Mm-hmm. Like you just, all right, I put my I put my hour in and and we're good. And there's historical reasons for that. I mean, like part of the part of part of the the cultural difference between Catholicism and evangelicalism is that is that well, so one there's the there's a question of like literacy. Um, like literal just literacy um, where you know Catholicism you know there is this uh, there's this much more prescriptive kind of even um, um, in institutional structure obviously in the priesthood and the the Vatican um, meaning that you know pre pre-modern um, you know, you were dependent upon um, you were dependent upon a, a institutional interpretation, whereas evangelicalism, again, as like I've kind of signposted, is like relativism. Hmm. There's this living document that everyone is kind of entitled to read and hold close to their heart, which is just not true of Catholic practice. And, and the, the holdover is even as mass literacy is a thing, you know, I would hazard to guess that if you were to just do a straw poll of practicing Catholics versus evangelicals, and, and if you were literally just to ask, um, have you ever read the Bible? <laughs> How much of the Bible have you read? What was the context of you reading the Bible? Because with Catholics, the context of reading the Bible, it would be if they were sent to Catholic parochial schools, it would be if they went to Sunday school in order to get, um, in order to receive first communion, confirmation, et cetera. Whereas my understanding of evangelicalism is that it is a much more organic aspect of life. Yeah. Um, which itself is, you know, for as much as evangelicals seem to believe that they are living out this um, original churchly lifestyle, that's profoundly modern. Like, the, you know, oh, for if, sure. if we were to go back, you know, 1,500, 2,000 years ago, right. the only people reading religious texts would have been, you know, whenever there were ecumenical councils, or um, institution of, or, you know, the church fathers, it it wouldn't have been, uh, it wouldn't even have been the kinds of people or the demographics that like say the apostles or Jesus were drawn from that would be reading and sharing. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's a select select class of people who are, who are literate, right. In in that, that time and age. Mm -hmm. And one of the only things yeah. they're reading is the Bible, and the only way that the average person engages with the Bible is by being told what it's what it says. Mm-hmm. Versus, and I, and I think yeah. Protestantism is largely a, a factor or or a result of, you know, like a spread of literacy, and people being able to read the Bible for themselves and being able to go, hey. You're not supposed to sell us our salvation, and you know, like but now we've got an issue with that. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, it's it, you know, it's the Gutenberg Bible. Yeah. Like it literally, the advent of mass printing and yeah, um, the Reformation are are almost smack dab um, yep. on the same kind of timeline. Yep. Uh, yeah, all I right. Think one of the oh, big problems that. Uh, wh- 
That's okay. One of the big problems that comes out of that is being so in when religion is so enmeshed in your life. Like I went to Sunday school and church. I went to Wednesday church service for, for children. And I went to a private Christian school and, oh, and, my, and the sports that I played were through a Christian organization. So literally there was no way out, right? Like it's everything in your life. And so like, of course it's, it's kind of that piled on, um, trauma of you're getting it from like, it, there's no escape essentially. I'm going to, so what, um, real, real quick, yeah. I, I have a question because this was brought up in, uh, Dorian's workshop the other day and I want to see if, uh, crab has the same answer that I did. Uh, why do you think, um, the, the youth group service always happens on Wednesdays in churches? Hmm. Dude, I went to Wednesday youth group. Right? Yeah, yeah, I know. It's all, it's always Wednesday, and I want I want to see if Crab has the same answer that I had. Uh, I'd imagine it's because it's right before the weekend, so they kind of want to like hit you over the head a little bit to that's make you exactly feel bad. That's exactly what don't I go said. Drink a party I, and stuff yeah, on the weekend. That's exactly yeah. what I said. Was it's it's like catching you in the middle of the week. <laughs> it's catching you in the middle of the yeah. week when you've been away from the church for a little bit and they're yeah. you know they're making sure that you you yeah. haven't strayed from the path yeah okay i'm glad i'm glad that you have I'm the also, same answer i'm also laughing i'm also laughing because i just remember that i took you to my youth group once and that's hilarious to me yep. <laughs> well for me like being like like i was friends with people who would go and like at the time we were kind of like no nah. Well, I wasn't a huge druggie. They were bigger druggies than I was, but we, we, I would say at least half the time we went to youth group together, we'd have, you know, roasted a bone before. <laughs> <laughs> so the, the, uh, the don't party, don't sex, don't drug and rock and roll message yeah. was lost on us. And we were actually kind of like, Hey, Jesus fucking rocks. Let's go get hot. <laughs> Call, call no thing which he has made impure right <laughs> yeah right yeah. and it's interesting because that's where a lot of the purity culture stuff at least in my church was really taught was that Absolutely. like that wednesday youth group it yep. was like yeah let, let's like come down really hard on this uh teaching here with you know once it's just the kids and sometimes you wonder like I don't know if the parents were in there, like, would they be cool with it? Like, <laughs> it's pretty horrible teaching, but I suppose they would be. So were your, um, were, would the, were the youth groups that you went to, were they co-ed or would they? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Mine were co-ed. Yeah. Gotcha. So what kind of, what was the, um, what was the content? What was the tenor of instruction there? You know, like what was the order of business that, like, what was, <laughs> Yeah, go ahead. Sorry. I think it was mostly focused on, I don't know about you, Mike, but mine was mostly focused on like the purity culture stuff yeah, of like, for sure. this is how we remain pure. This is how we um, honor God, uh, uh, honor God with our bodies, like stuff like that. These teachings, I didn't even think about that. That just like came out of my brain because it's so drilled in there. But yeah, it was like, how do we live a life that um, is honoring and pleasing to God? And it's by, um, never having sex and never kissing people and never, you know. <laughs> so there were, there was that. And the other thing I remember from mine was, uh, so they're obviously very heavy in the purity culture stuff. And then the mm -hmm. second thing was like learning about like the radical young people of the Bible who, you know, like eventually mm -hmm. went on to be martyrs or whatever. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> 
Well, it's kind of funny. So like, so the, the youth group that I went to, um, so my, I'm from Cincinnati. I, I don't really give a shit. I, I don't know that I would be. Docs, docs, docs. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm also showing my face. So whatever, but yeah. I'm from Cincinnati. Um, Xavier university is there, which is the Jesuit university. Big shout out to the Jesuits aside. Yeah. Whatever their role in like the, in, the inquisition is or whatever <laughs> but, but this this the the, the um, campus um church that's attached um bellarmine is uh, it's super liberal the the npr new york times granola prius driving kind of liberal like those kinds of people um so the person the person who ran the youth group who's just a, a, a sweetheart, like, in my opinion, like, I haven't talked to her in, in years, but to me, it's just like a, a true living saint, loves young people, her, can, her, the depth, like, the depth of her conviction that, you know, it's important for young Catholics to have, like, a healthy relationship to God, um, just non-judgmental, true, like open arms person. Um, it was funny. It was funny one time she wanted me to like lead this meeting on the Bible and queerness because she knew that I was like a young queer. And I was just like, I mean, like, I don't know, bro. Like, that's <laughs> thanks for thinking of me, but also yeah. like 14 years old and I don't really know anything about this. And all I know is like I like to suck dick and <laughs> <laughs> youth group so like i don't know man it's, all, it's also like that cringy thing of like you're queer you teach it it's like wait a minute this it's, is it's, my responsibility yeah, yeah. it's like hey dude like you're literally like 60 years old and i'm 14 like i've never read the bible presumably you read the bible like fucking you have at it and i'll try right. you know, <laughs> you know? No. All right, well, uh, Crab, do you, do you have any uh, last words? Uh, we're we're running a little bit long uh, for what we normally do here, but uh, this has been a good talk. I don't think so. Yeah, okay. I think I covered most of uh, yeah. what um, I wanted to Yeah, and this is, we about. could probably have you back on sometime. Um, yeah, that'd be cool. Awesome. Well, uh, thank you both for your time today. I hope you all have a wonderful Sunday as we uh, just created some, some form of sacrilege or engage in some form of sacrilege. We sure did. This one was arguably more wholesome than the last one that we did together because I think on the last one is when I encouraged people to murder their children. You did, yes. Yeah, well, you the did. last one is where you, yeah. <laughs> yeah Again, I, just, uh, it's, I haven't done that. It's the, it's the hazard of having somebody on who's known me for a long time. I, I can't get away with all the edgelord shit. <laughs> Yeah, I'll just, I'll yell at you afterwards. Yeah. How dare you? <laughs> well, just to be very clear, like, I'm pro-abortion, not because I'm pro-woman, but because I'm anti-child. So, <laughs> yeah, <know>. there we <laughs> go. <laughs> Antinatalist gang, where you at? Stop. <laughs> All right. Well, All right. Uh, thank you both. Well, uh, have a wonderful on. Sunday. Right, um, yeah. Go with Christ, babies. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> I just waved as if I was on camera, so there you go.